This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select... Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky stepping up, fires down the sideline. Robinson makes the catch. From the Raiders to the Bears, Khalil Mack, now officially in Chicago. Brought down, Khalil Mack. Welcome back to the Chicago Shuffle Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lee, joined, not as always, but most of the time by SB Nation's Ricky O'Donnell. Ricky, what's going on, man? I'm good, dude. We finally got a win to talk about today. That's a nice change of pace for us. Not only a win, but like a, a not a moral loss. This actually felt good. I felt good after this. And it wasn't just because it was Thanksgiving and I was delaying the meal and everybody was looking at me like I was an insane person. And I spilled a Coors Light on my pants right before the game was over. <laughs> but uh, no, this felt good. It felt good to win a game. And it felt like the Bears actually uh, took some steps forward in this game. Yeah, I thought it was a fun game to watch. We had the entire living room standing up in the fourth quarter when Kyle Fuller made really a game-saving tackle in the red zone uh, to hold the Lions to a field goal. We were cheering when Trubisky was connected on some passes. He had a really good game. We'll talk about that more later. Uh, just, you know, a, a good – I felt like it was a good game for a big family party to watch, right? Like, it wasn't boring. There was stuff happening throughout the game. Bears get a win. Now they're six and six. So uh, good things all around on this Thanksgiving after show. The thing is, uh, you know, so the Bears win 24 to 20 and I watched the first half at one house and I'm out visiting family in South Carolina right now. So everything's a little bit jumbled, but we made the move at halftime. The difference between my first half experience and how angry I was <laughs> and how frustrating it was to watch them play football versus how it felt in the second half where I would say this is the first time this year, and I'd have to think back about uh, last year, that the Bears' offense won the game, that the defense actually wasn't holding up its end of the bargain, and the offense pulled it out. And I can't remember the last time I can say that about the Chicago Bears. Yeah, and it happened on the very first drive of the game. The Bears getting a touchdown on the first drive. I don't have any stats in front of me. It feels like that hasn't really happened at all recently. Has it even happened this year when they've put up six on the first drive? Uh, so that was great so. to see. And then, of, of course, the Lions throw a bomb touchdown pass on their third play from scrimmage. Uh, Prince of Mukamura gets burned on the double move. I just started cackling when that happened. I'm like, well, <laughs> here we go. Like, <laughs> It's going to be one of those games, huh? But, you know, credit to the Bears offense for pulling it out. I didn't think the defense was at their best, especially against what's essentially a third-string quarterback for Detroit. But, uh, you know, they they did well enough on, on the second-half drives, only allowed three second-half points to, to get the win. No, all true. I mean, it, it... – it, it was a team win, and you can tell. Just like it was the first time Club Dub didn't feel like 
uh, we won. We got to do this. This actually felt like a joyful thing for the entire team and having fought through some adversity and, and found some traction in a number of areas. So it's a really a feel-good win. And I think, you know, before we get to the Prince Mukamaras of things, the um, the difficulties with the pass rush, what those things mean going forward, I just kind of want to touch on a couple things I saw today that or yesterday that um, I haven't seen all year. So I went back and looked at every – uh, throw that Mitch made. NFL gets cut-ups up so quick these days. I, I've i never seen him throw the ball so well. It, it it was not a Mitch I've ever seen before. I, I, I'm i trying to think back of other games, and if you look back at you know the, the now-fabled Tampa Bay game of 2018, it wasn't that. Guys were running with six yards of space all day long. Mitch played an unbelievable game. And yes, he made two big mistakes. He had a, a very bad pick. And um, he had the third down run the that run, he clearly yeah. had the first down right at the end of the half that, you know, was really a key to getting six points and decided he would try for the sideline and didn't get it and forced a field goal, which was a really bad decision, bad situational awareness, etc. But the throws he was making, and I'm not talking necessarily about the two dimes to Miller down the sideline in the fourth quarter, even just like you know, um, bubble screens out, quick throws out. They are right where they need to be, right on the upfield shoulder. Um, him scrambling out of the pocket, creating and finding guys along the sideline. This is the best Mitch game we've ever seen. And uh, I I just feel so thrilled to be able to say those words out loud. Wow, the best Mitch game we've ever seen. I love that take. I think he's been pretty decent the last three weeks, to be honest. So I do think he's getting better. You look at the final numbers, he ends the game 29 of 38, 338 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, only sacked one time, QB rating of 118. So yeah, it's like, to me, the Bears are now 6-6. Six and six. Even if they run the table at 10-6, and six, it's going to be hard for them to get that second wild card spot because right now the Vikings are holding that down at 8-3, and three, I believe they are. Uh, so I'm basically heading into this stretch run being like, what can we take away from this for next season? And Trubisky's the biggest question mark, right? Like, there are going to be some other quarterback replacement options on the free agent and trade market. The question is, is Trubisky the guy for next season? Now, you know, coming into this game, I would have thought certainly not. Uh, but I, I am going into this with an open mind. Like, the Bears are going to have him under contract. Uh, I think, if nothing else, they'll bring in, like, some quarterback competition. But you got to credit Trubisky. He played pretty well. I thought I was going to mention the two throws to Miller in the fourth quarter. I thought Miller in particular was really good. Uh, Trubisky was spreading the ball around to a bunch of different wide receivers. We saw Javon Wims get five catches. Uh, he found Jesper Horst for a touchdown. That was Horsted, a really good yeah. throw. I'm like, who is this guy? But uh, Trubisky, you know, nailed him in the end zone. And credit to our boy Jesper for hanging on because that was a tough diving catch for him too. Even there was one possession in the first half where I thought and it was in the end zone. Trubisky put it on, put put the ball in, the, in a great place for Miller. Miller seemed like he turned over the wrong shoulder. That ended up not being a touchdown, uh, but I thought it could have been. So Trubisky was really throwing some good balls. I thought he was reading the field well. Uh, and, yeah, it, it was probably his best game of the year. So the question now is, like, can Mitch – be let's say like the 20th best quarterback in the league going forward because if that happens I think perhaps the Bears can stick with him uh next year now entering this week he was ranked 31st in the DVOA yeah. football outsiders quarterback rankings the offense in general is ranked 27th 
Uh, as we've talked about on this podcast at nauseum, Mitch is not the only problem with the offense. The offensive line is terrible. There's been no run game the entire season. Uh, the receivers, I didn't even realize, but they showed the stat during the game. The receivers lead the league in drops this year. Yep. So uh, there is, you know, a mounting bit of evidence that says perhaps if Trubisky can close out the year strong, that you don't want to write him off just yet. Uh, I thought it was a really good game for Mitch, and it, it made me really happy to see. No kidding. I mean, let's not start S'ing each other's D's just yet. This was the Detroit Lions <laughs> The, the Detroit Lions are terrible, and they were playing with a, as you said, a third-string quarterback that a human being I'd never heard of before. The Madden create a player of a guy with really low rating is named David Blow. You could say Blau, it's Blow, and I think that's like <laughs> the best backup quarterback name in the history of mankind. Uh, we'll talk about him carving up the Bears' secondary in a little bit, but you know, it was just one of those games where I'm like, if the Bears can't win this one, what are we even rooting for? What are we even talking about? And so for them to come out, um, you know, the opening drive, everything's perfect. Everything's in sync. No penalties. March right down the field. I was like, this is great, man. Like, finally, 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 there's something. And, and then I was like, we're going to blow the extra point. Something bad is going to happen. We're going to run it. And we and they didn't. You know, it was like a great run back by Patterson to start the game. And then right down the field, I'm like, this is Finally, finally, we're going to get ahead and just, you know, lean on a third string quarterback and, and actually be able to get out of this game with a, with a W. And for them to have a complete blown coverage in the secondary and blown coverage is all first half long. Um, it just, I, you know, of all the things we've been able to count on over the years as Bears fans, having the secondary uh, and having the defense in general just be solid and be something you can lean on. For that to not to be not be the case, it was a very a jarring game of football. Mitch is competent. The Bears' offense is moving down the field. The guys are making contributions across the board. They're averaging 3.8 yards a carry running the ball. There's actually push in the run game today, and I, I do think that's something we need to talk about in terms of the offensive line and the fact that you know Bobby Massey wasn't in there and Lucas was in, and all of a sudden there's running off the right edge. I think that's worth mentioning. But, um, yeah, I, I just – to come back to Mitch for a second – Look, just because they played one good game uh, or he played one good game against a trash Detroit Lions team does not mean that you change your approach in the offseason. The Bears need to do exactly what they've done, which is to keep him because he's under a rookie contract and they can continue to see his development. Um, I think they can even green light the fifth-year option because that's only guaranteed for injury. So just because they click the button doesn't mean they're beholden to the contract. And then bringing in, like you said, veteran competition and or a viable backup if and when Mitch gets hurt, which, you know, he's shown over the this year and three quarters, whatever it is now, that he does get dinged up and he will miss a couple games a year. That's just part of the nature of the way he's played the game. So um, I'm not trying to take any of the goodness away from this game. He played fantastically. He's been pretty good for a couple weeks here, or you can see him kind of taking steps forward in his development. Um, he's in a rhythm that he hasn't been in, I think, Maybe until, you know, last year there was like a two or three game stretch before he got his shoulder injured against the Vikings, but he started to look really, really good. And I think he's in that place now where he's seeing the field. I can't ever remember him uh, looking off safeties better and getting to second and third reads better. And that is true palpable development that we've been looking for for Mitch Trubisky. 
Yeah, I liked how quickly and accurately he was getting the ball to the flats and to the sidelines. Totally. We've seen Trubisky, like, throw the ball to the receiver's feet on a five-yard out route how many damn times uh, since he's been the Bears starter. But those passes were coming out crisp. I thought the receivers were getting some good uh, yards after the catch. Trubisky's mostly at his best, I think, when he's throwing between the hash marks. Uh, he hit whims on some down the middle. Allen Robinson, another big target. So... Uh, I was impressed with the receiving core. Let's talk about Anthony Miller. Nine catches, 140 yards. Taylor Gabriel was out this game with a concussion. Anthony Miller totally rose up and uh, really became the player the Bears thought they were getting when they traded a draft pick to move up to get him. He ends, like I said, 140 yards receiving on on 13 targets. That felt like the best game of Anthony Miller's career to me. Uh, That's the player you want moving forward. And, you know, I left that game thinking Robinson's totally a legit number one. Miller at 5'11", he's not a huge target, but he's got the speed. He seems to understand the nuances of the receiver position in terms of creating separation Mm -hmm. uh, to maybe be the number two moving forward. And I really like Wims as the three. I know Wims didn't have a lot of pedigree coming in. I think he was like a sixth or seventh rounder. But he had a hell of a college career. Yeah, he had a hell of a college career at Georgia. He's always been really good in the preseason. I can never remember Wims having a bad drop. You know, no, so no, very uh, solid to see him get six targets, five catches. That was awesome. He doesn't have breakaway speed. He's not huge. But to me, that guy's just solid. And he catches the football when it's placed uh, anywhere near him. So I was really impressed with uh, the receiver group for this game. And, you know, next year, I think that it's not like super imperative. I don't think to spend whatever cap flexibility you have on getting another top line pass catcher. I no. think Gabriel, they're probably going to move on from him. Uh, in that, you know, you could see next year like you're going to have Miller, Robinson, Wims. I hope, and then Ridley, who was finally active this game, he didn't get on the field. I don't believe he didn't get a target at least. He had a couple uh, snaps, but no targets. Yeah. Okay, so he's a bigger receiver too. So, I mean, we talked about this during the Cutler era, right? When his number one receiver was Johnny Knox. He had all these midget receivers. (laughs) Cutler was a guy who just wanted to put it in the general vicinity of the receiver and let a big guy like Brandon Marshall or Alshon go up and get it. Why can't Mitch be the same way? Get him some bigger pass catchers. Uh, He's always had a good rapport with Robinson. And uh, Wims, I think, opened some eyes on Thanksgiving. I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, the discussion of the Chicago receiving core and how it's deployed is, I think, one we, sh- we should probably have. So, you know, Allen Robinson is a very clear number one, the top of the mountain, and I don't think we've seen anything to suggest that his usage or deployment should be any different. But not having Taylor Gabriel in this game, and this isn't necessarily an indictment of Gabriel, but in terms of, like, the way the receiving core is made up, when you have Robinson, who's bigger, but not by any means, like, a, a large receiver. He's just a really athletic, complete uh, receiver with great footwork, but then you have these two smaller guys. You have Anthony Miller and you have Taylor Gabriel as the the other two wide receivers. It doesn't really give Mitch a lot of room for error. Taylor Gabriel, as we've seen, you know, a, a very solid route runner. He was supposed to be a speed guy and a guy who took the top off of a defense, but given that the Bears couldn't take advantage of that, I really think that reduces his effectiveness on the field. And then you can just push him off his spots. It's a small catch radius. And I've seen it multiple times where a contested catch, he gets bumped off and it's either a pick or a breakup. So looking at the way it's formulated, at least in this game, and again, in the context of against the Detroit Lions, who are trash, and especially on defense, the, the mix of Robinson as, you know, 
the the peak performer and the guy that takes the bulk of the attention. Miller as a very solid number two, who, as we're finding out now, can work much better on the outside, isolated against one <clears throat> or or two uh, players versus trying to work the nuance of the slot, which is, you know, it's a skill set. It's a specific skill set that only certain players can do. And I don't have the statistics in front of me of where exactly he was lining up on the field. <clears throat> Excuse me where exactly he was lining up on the field. But I know that he was outside for multiple catches because of the way uh, Mitch was throwing to him. Uh, he's just so much more effective in that role, so much more comfortable in that. And then you have a big-bodied receiver, as you said, in Javon Wims, who, you know, you need a contested catch. You have uh, the scramble drill going out towards the sideline. Wims made himself available multiple times for that, you know, off-schedule throw. Uh, and being able to uh, body out his defender and get his feet down, solid hands, that feels like a much more effective fit for what the Bears need at this point, especially given no tight end position to speak of. We had the Jesper Horstead <laughs> sighting, which um, you know activated off the practice squad. There's nobody left in the tight end room. He's literally the only person left. But what a dime from Mitch uh, to him you know, on a on an option. Catch, too. Yeah, yeah uh, great catch, great formulation, and credit to Mitch, you know, he had options to kind of swing pass out to his right and took a quick look over to the tight end. And that is a dime throw. It's really only, only the tight end was able to get his hands on it. And even that was an athletic play. And then, like you said, to hold on to it, really one of the best offensive plays of the year for the bears. But yeah, overall the, the, the receiving core and the way that it's used, it just feels like this is a winning formula, not just for today, but you're developing your young players at the same time. And I think Gabriel, like you said, likely a roster cut in this offseason, given the financial needs of the team, uh, you also have a chance to kind of work and develop these guys in NFL situations. Because, again, the playoffs really aren't the goal at this point. That's a oh, 2%, 3% chance. You're looking towards next year, and why wouldn't it be developing really dynamic young young talent that just needs to see snaps day in, day out? So I want to talk about the running game, but before we get to that, We've criticized Nagy pretty much the entire year. I think head coaching has been one of the biggest problems with this team and why they're only 6-6. Six and six. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought Nagy had a good game. Like, he didn't have any ridiculous run Tariq Cohen up the middle on third and seven calls. Uh, he didn't make many play calls that were, you know, having me pull my hair out. I, I liked the game plan from Nagy, and I thought that, you know, that could have been part of the reason why Trubisky uh, had a chance to succeed. So uh, there were no... WTF moments out of Nagy or not many yesterday, I thought. So credit to him as well. Thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I, I'll disagree only a little bit. First agreement, he the play calling was fantastic, and I think the scheme and the, uh, the game plan was really, really solid. Um, I do think that the Detroit Lions, for some reason, like to play man defense against Mitch Trubisky, and they're the only team in the league that seems to think that's the way to go. They're just inflexible in their defensive scheme. Mitch has always had trouble with zone beaters. And so this was it, it just seems like a Detroit Lions game is always a get-right game for Mitch. Nevertheless, uh, in terms of Nagy, play calling, good. Overall game plan, good. His in-game management is still dog shit. And, and I'll just point to one, one sequence as the reason why we need to talk about Nagy giving up 
play calling in the offseason because he needs to focus on managing a game and making sure substitutions and personnel are deployed in the right way. So you've got fourth down. Nagy already has decided he's not going to let Pinheiro kick what I think was going to be like a 48-yarder indoors, something yeah. that, you know, again, I understand the lack of confidence, but I hate the fearful decision-making. It was a clear right. moment to kick a field goal. Nagy decides to go for it on a six-yard fourth down uh, early in the game. They call a timeout. They, he wants to pick the perfect play. Okay, pick your perfect play. Then they come out and run what should have been a delay of game and a stoppage of play. Ends up being an illegal motion anyways. And then the play never had a shot. And just that sequence of decision-making, how sloppy it looked, how ill-prepared the team looked in that moment, that is naggy. That is naggy trying to overthink, first of all, um, trying to wrench the game in a direction it might not need to go, and then not having his team in a position to succeed. And if you can't put your guys in a position to succeed, how is anything ever going to work when, when you know, the bullets are flying on the field? So, in, again, aspects of what he did are, were really, really great. But I still think going into, next, uh, into the offseason and into next season, he needs to consider giving up play calling because right now it seems like there's way too much on his plate. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up uh, because, you know, that does totally fall on him. I think the announcer said it would have been a 50-yard field goal for Panero, but still, it sure, doesn't matter. Sure. Like, the guy's got to be able to hit that, especially indoors, like you said. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Let's talk about the running game a little bit. I was dogging David Montgomery to my dad and my brother-in-law while we were watching this game. I'm like, you know, I had really high expectations for this guy coming into the year. I don't think he's big enough to be a between-the-tackles runner. I don't think he's fast enough to have that breakaway speed to be a home run hitter. Uh, so I was kind of going in on him as someone who I've been disappointed with this year, with the obvious caveat that the offensive line sucks. Got to mm. say, I thought this was Montgomery's best game. Ends of the game, 16 carries, 75 yards, uh, 4.7 yards a carry. Didn't have anything longer than 14. He was basically just hitting five, six, seven-yard carries throughout the game. Uh, I thought he gave the Bears a chance to succeed, and uh, I know that you mentioned uh, pre-show some changes to the offensive line, so you could talk about that a little bit. But uh, running game, you know, not totally trash in this game. No, and, and I think you hit on it. Like, we, we do need to talk about that, and, and especially the offensive line and how they looked a little bit different. David Montgomery, to me, I just think he's – Look, I think he has a chance to be a really good football player, not just this year, but going forward. I think I see him figuring things out a little more and when to be shifty and when to kind of push ahead and get a few yards. But I saw him carry defenders for a couple, two, three extra yards. I saw him shake a defender to turn a negative play into a positive. Um, 16 carries for 75, you know, I it's not like – I don't think he's going to be a workhorse. I don't think that's the nature of – his style of play, I don't think that's the Bears' style of play under Nagy. I'm not sure that's like the NFL model anymore, save for a few exceptions like a Dalvin Cook or a um, Mark Ingram, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Or like a you know Tennessee, something like that, where that's just kind of the nature of their offense and their offensive line, that sort of thing. But um, no, I thought this was one of, if not his best games. You know, and then of course the the touchdown play to to put them ahead at the end and being able to hold on to that. So he's a versatile back. I still have a lot of uh, optimism in his future with the team and their ability to use him. But it's the offensive line, and they were different today. They got push in the run game. The one thing that I saw, and I, you know, again, this is without 
digging into advanced statistics and snap counts and all that sort of thing. But at the right tackle position, you've got Cornelius Lucas taking over for Bobby Massey, who's out with a high ankle sprain for a few weeks here. And sure enough, there were yards to be found off the right edge. Now, is Bobby Massey the reason the Bears couldn't run the football? No, it has nothing to do with that. It's more about the totality of it. But you certainly have a much more physical right side of the line now um, where you've got uh, – <laughs> I always I always think of his name – uh, Rashad Coward. It's, it's like Rampage is his nickname, something like that. So you've got, you know, two guys with, with a lot more physical talent and maybe not the tactical talent of, um, you know, an injured Kyle Long and Bobby Massey, but you've got movement over there. And I think as the Bears come to understand that more and more, they might be able to find yards going off the right side. So that was really positive to see. I know that the Detroit Lions, I think, are second to last in the league in run defense. So all that comes with, you know, a grain of salt, but to your point, that balance, just allowing the Bears, so it's 23 runs to 38 pass attempts, that's the Nagy balance. That's how he wants to run it, because a lot of those passes are almost extended runs. They're quick throws out to the flat to allow you know one wide receiver to screen for another to get four or five yards here or there. Those are Tariq Cohen flat passes. The 38 passes looks like a, a big imbalance, but I would say it's more like, you know, turn f- six of those so 32 passes and then add those six to the to the rush rushing game and that's 29 runs that's the run pass balance the bears need to have to win and you just see it you see with it when the run is effective it ge- it takes pressure off of mitch it allows them to use the play action which they used more this this week than i've seen them use all year mitch was the the spot they're moving him to to throw from all day long different like it him dropping straight back was a really unusual thing and especially not doing it for you know long seven step drops and having to sit and pat in the pocket it's just not a successful place for him so this looked like a balanced offensive football team for the first time in a long time and a lot of that had to do with finding you know a little bit of success in the run game uh i think we should talk about the defense a little bit so the time to talk about shitty things yeah we'll to me was disappointing throughout this game they did only allow three points in the second half so you got to give them some credit for that. When it was crunch time, uh, they didn't give the Lions a chance to get back in the game. I thought Kyle Fuller made an amazing play on that tackle. Oh, my man. God. That's that a game saver. That is like an absolute game saver. Uh, you know, that's just the type of moment in a football game where, like, that one small moment, that one-on-one in the open field is literally determining the game. And Kyle yep. Fuller made the play. The Lions guy didn't. Uh, he trips him up. So... Kudos to Kyle Fuller. I think he's got the second biggest cap hit on the team this year behind Mac. But Kyle Fuller rules, dude. Like he's worth his contract. I really like Kyle Fuller. <laughs> Kyle Fuller uh, rules. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think he's he's middling? I, he's been disappointing. Um, I, I guess I would say that he's been down this year from last year. There've been blown coverages. Um, he's been burned multiple times. He was, you know, one of the victims of the first half you know, secondary miscommunications. I think Prince of Mukamara is, is much further down the list. But to your point, you know, he still makes a lot of impactful plays. He's a really physical presence at the cornerback position too. There was another play that the Lions were trying to break or on the left edge, a run play, and uh, Fuller was there to fill the hole, and he got pushed in the back, and Detroit got a penalty for a block in the back and pushed it back. So his willingness to get up there and be physical and run support I think is really underrated. And yeah, if he could just put capture the balls that he puts himself in a position to take it's happened multiple times this year where he's been in a position for either a pick six or just a pick and it's bounced off his hands or it hasn't yeah you know he hasn't corralled it but um no i think you know 
him making that game-saving play forgives all of those other things because it is about you know being a playmaker in that moment. That's why you know premier players are who they are, and that was like you said, an absolute game saver. The Detroit Lions score that touchdown. It looks a lot different. It makes it a two-score game, and uh, it's unlikely we're talking about this in, in the glowing terms that we are today. So I had that highlighted for one of, if not the play of the game. Uh, and then I want you to give me some grades on each of these areas, pass rush and run defense. What did you think of the pass rush and the run defense? First of all, let's get to the run defense and talk about that because, um, well, they did, you know, statistically give up a good number of yards. I do think they played really, really well. And especially late in the game, the bears only gave up, like you said, three points in the second half and only 128 total yards. So it really was a much stronger effort. Whatever was said, uh, at the halftime break was really impactful because the Bears really did start to hold it down. There were a couple weird plays. Um, the the mutual pass interference call on Buster Screen and I think Marvin Jones that happened during the game. But to the run defense, let's stay on point here. Um, you know, I have no fear from any of the Detroit running backs. Bo Scarborough is their best and really their lead back for 21 carries for 83 yards. It's not a bad average, but I never felt threatened by him in any sort of way. The big concerns for me were the long plays in the passing game. So, you know, a solid B there for the Bears, even though the <clears throat> the numbers are quite high. It's the pass rush that is just death. And let's just talk about one play because I think it illustrates what's going on and why the Bears are having so much trouble on the, the defensive end. So David Blow, who, again, <laughs> his name is David Blow. It's third down. It's the first series of the game. <clears throat> and Detroit really smartly runs a um, one of their pet plays with a twist, which is a double move. Eddie Jackson bites on it. And Prince of Mukamara bites on it. But the only way that play has a chance, a chance of working, is if the pass rush can't get home. And they have a lot of time to get home. They can't. Everybody is stood up. And David Blow throws a 70-yard touchdown pass on the third play of the game with 20 yards of space around him in any direction. So the secondary was getting hung out to dry multiple times during the game. And the Bears just don't have the guys to to sustain coverage for a long period of time. What they're really good at is jumping routes, being there when the pass rush gets home very, very quickly. Eddie Jackson as well. He can start to predict where the ball might go in a hurry and be able to jump that route. That's when they're at their most effective. And so right now, the Bears just don't have guys getting home. And I, I would like to highlight Leonard Floyd's complete lack of impact in the, in the pass rush and how I just don't think he's ever going to be anything more than he is, which is an incredibly athletic, run-stopping outside linebacker. Um, just not one of effect in in the pass rush, despite the Bears' over, you know, overwhelming attempts to say that he's that, to put him in a position to do that. There just isn't another guy who can uh, push the pocket. And then likewise, there was no push up the middle from Nick Williams, from Bilal Nichols, from anybody else today. And so, but you know, Khalil Mack was way out on the edge again, and every time he would get inside, it was just there for David Blow to step up in the pocket and deliver a pass. Leonard Floyd had seven sacks his rookie year. Since then, his number is four and a half sacks, four sacks, and then this year he has three sacks. Uh, here's a hot take for you. I actually think <laughs> Leonard Floyd is going to have a season where he puts together 13 or 14 sacks. I don't know if it's going to be for the Bears because I know they have him under contract. 
for next year and then moving forward, they're probably going to have to make some tough decisions. What leads you to believe that's possible at this point? Man, I just feel like he's been getting some good push, but just, like, can't bring the QB down. I also think that defensively, they have him dropping into coverage a little too often. There were times during the last drive where I'm like, let's go, Floyd, let's go, before the play, and then, like, he's covering the flat (laughs) or something. So, to me, he's got to be rushing the passer, uh, you know, on, like, 95% of the snaps because I don't think he's particularly impressive in coverage. Uh, But... Yeah, I, I, he's always had the tools, you know what I mean? And uh, you would think with Mac on the other side, it would have been the perfect setup for him to break through. It just hasn't really happened for him. Uh, I still really like watching him play, though, for whatever reason. I think he just looks cool because he's tall and long and fast. And, uh, yeah, man. You know, like, he, he is should be an better avatar than he out is. there. He should yeah. be. I think that's that's a difficult part, which is you see the athletic gifts and the bend and everything else. But, like, you know, they have the, uh, like, Bill Barnwell posted – the moving numbers, what, what are they calling those? Like where it's, you know, a, a given play, it's the the spatial information, like almost like the second spectrum type stuff, not to bring an NBA term into it. But you can see like wh- what player was where. He gets ridden out of the play and over pursues and, you know, gets pushed past the quarterback time in, time out. And so not only is he not getting to the quarterback, but he's allowing, you know, lots of places for quarterbacks to either step up or escape the pocket. Again, I love the gifts. Uh, Every year in training camp, I'm told he looks incredible. This one's different. He's been totally healthy this year, and for him to still only have three sacks leads me to believe that that's kind of who this guy is. So, sure, could there be a a statistical outlier year where he gets seven, eight, nine, maybe even you know hits double digits? I suppose that could happen. It just seems harder and harder to imagine. Uh, given where he was, where he came from, and and what he is now on the Bears. So, you know, look, is he going to get his fifth-year – they've already said yes to the fifth-year option, so that's next year. I don't see him being one of the guys that's in line for an extension necessarily. I think you kind of might want to look at this last year and just let it play out. Now, they might decide to do something because Ryan Pace has been extremely aggressive in re-signing guys that he had conviction on. You know, we see what that looks like now with the offensive line. Um, and it may be able to affect their 2020 cap number to get him signed to a long-term extension. But I just, more and more, I, I'm just not a believer. And again, I think a lot of the difficulty in the pass rush isn't necessarily just Leonard Floyd. It's a lack of push up the middle. Uh, and that's something the Bears will need to ad- address next year. Akeem Hicks is one thing. But if one piece goes down and you don't have anything to replace it, and I know uh, Black Nick, Nick Williams, has seven sacks on the year, has been effective at times, but he was on the field for multiple snaps and was completely ineffective today. So I think you know the, the Bears really need to look for a player who might be able to create pressure up the middle in the offseason. As, as long as we're talking about defense and, and effect, it's kind of criminal that we haven't mentioned Roquan Smith yet who had 15 tackles on the day, two sacks, two tackles for loss, was all over the field. And really, this was the all-pro Roquan Smith that I think you and I have been looking for all season. And I think after the London game and everything that happened with him having uh, not played for a while for personal reasons, it just kind of took a backseat. But if this is the Roquan Smith we can expect week in, week out, the Bears have a defensive leader. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, totally. I was going to bring him up. Uh, you mentioned Black Nick. Got to give a shout-out to White Nick as well. Nick Klaikowski. Awesome. Thought that he played pretty well. And just so people know, Khalil Mack gave him those nicknames. This isn't something Zach and I uh, are making up on our own. Khalil Mack. <laughs> it's, it's important that we say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Klaikowski was really good. I think that he was in for Trevathan, correct, who 
Yes. Uh, I don't believe played in this game, and uh, he made some big some big hits. I think that you know he's a really solid tackler. Kwiatkowski is like physical if, too. If you are within his grab radius, he's gonna fucking bring you down. Now he doesn't have like great speed or coverage instincts. I don't think, but for like a fourth linebacker i really like him actually i think that he's had a, a good year and it's nice to just have a sure tackler on the team you know what i mean a guy who if put in those situations you can trust him to bring down the ball carrier uh roquan like you said really good before the game i asked my dad who's a diehard bears fan i'm like so what do you think of roquan this year and my dad was like eh like you know mm-hmm. hasn't been that good kind of a disappointing year all things considered Really good game out of Roquan. Uh, he made a lot of plays. He had the big sack late in the game on the on the uh, one of the Lions' final drives. I love the fact that the Bears didn't go into like a shell defense on that. They sent some pass rushers, sent some blitzers. Roquan gets the sack. I don't even think he was touched on that. So a uh, good call too by Pagano. Yeah, thought yeah. Roquan was great. And um, you know, to me, Prince Amukamura was the the biggest disappointment individually on the defense, uh, but. In general, I thought that, you know, Prince, is, he's been a pretty good signing since they got him before last year. He's given them some decent production, good production no uh, for what they paid for him. Uh, he might be starting to slip a little bit now. I think they still need some more depth at corner moving forward. I'm not totally sold on Buster Screen. Uh, but in general, thought the linebackers played pretty well. The defensive linemen and the pass rushers, Khalil Mack, I mean, we haven't even said his name yet. He really didn't do much again this week. That's really disappointing. Don't know what's up with that. He's just uh, got so much defensive attention on him, man. Yeah. I mean, two tackle. I saw him make, you know, have an effect multiple times, and there were definitely moments where he's coming off a triple team, so he gets chipped at the line by a tight end. Running back takes a look at him, and then there's the right tackle that's kind of waiting. And it, just, it takes so much time for somebody to get around there. And again, you can only bend the edge so much if there's no push up the middle. There's no meeting point for Khalil Mack. So I know he's gotten, you know, he makes all the money in the world and he's an all-world player. I, de- I don't actually lay a lot of this, this at his feet. I still think he played a pretty good game. And I did see him have an effect, especially in the run game late, filling, filling holes. So um, it sucks not to have that, you know, strip sack, fumble, game-changing play from Mac that we've come to expect, but I didn't. I don't think he was as ineffective as he'd been in previous games the last month or so. Did you? Uh, no, I mean, I, th- I thought it was, you know, uh, a solid game. You just would like to see him make more flash plays, impact plays, but I think everything you said is totally fair. I want to give two more quick shout-outs, and then you could take this discussion any way you want it. Uh, shout-out to Eddie Jackson. Game-ending interception. His first pick of the year, I think. Gosh, yeah. About damn time, Eddie Jackson, but, you know, uh, he made he made the play to seal the game, so that was nice to see. And then Cordell Patterson, two monster kick returns. He got two kick returns and got 90 yards, 45 yards of kick return. Uh, on the opening kick return of the game, Troy Aikman is yelling, just take a knee, Patterson, and he busts out <laughs> you know a 60-yarder, basically. So uh, I thought both of those guys deserve a mention on this podcast. No question, especially Patterson going to Nagy uh, report- reportedly during the week and saying, I'm you know, willing to take snaps at the tight end position if you want to give that a try, which that made me half chub just thinking about it. I don't know about you. I think that's a great idea, and I'd love to see the Bears give it a shot. He's a huge body. He's a, a speed threat immediately at that position, and I don't know what his blocking ability might be, but he's a physical player. You see it when he's a gunner on kickoff, so I wonder if we might see that in, in you know small Nagy sizzle packages in the weeks to come. 
Um, other guys defensively, like you said, White Nick, uh, really, really good. And I'll go one further than being you know a fourth linebacker, what have you. I think he needs to be the Bears' starting inside linebacker opposite Roquan Smith next year. I think they've got a great dynamic together. I think the thing, you know, Roquan's ability to to uh, cover to cover out, you know, uh, either a defender out of the backfield or just be dynamic uh, left, right, and center. And then the physical nature of quick and how good he looks out there right now. And the fact that he's really shored up some of his deficiencies uh, in, in coverage, he looks like a starting NFL inside linebacker to me. And I think it's imperative that the bears get him back in the fold for next season because Danny Trevathan's a defensive leader. And I think he's been so good for the team for the fall off to be so small and for him to be so unmissed in terms of the play on the field. These last few weeks says a ton about Nick Kwiatkowski's ability to take over at that position, potentially at a much uh, lower salary point. Yeah, fully agree. Um, yeah, and then I, I think you're absolutely right. Prince of Mukamara has been a great signing for the team, uh, a really solid veteran addition, and it just looks like Father Time's showing up, and the Bears need to get more athletic, more dynamic at that position. My guess would be that one of the two second-round picks for next year probably gets spent at that position, if not multiple guys, because Kevin Tolliver was a UDFA, and I think he's the next man up. Um, there, there are... Who's the other one that's been in, in, inactive all year? Was like a sixth round pick. Um, oh man, that's a terrible look. Well, uh, he hasn't seen the field yet, but I think the Bears have good belief in this unnamed man's ability to possibly be part of the depth uh, at the position. But overall, like the secondary feels a little light in the britches when it comes to depth and you know down downstream potential for next year and going forward. So, um, yeah, and, and again, you can see it all day long that teams are targeting Prince of Mukamara in the past game, and he's just not going to be that guy that sticks in coverage. He's really good at press. He's there if there's a pass rush to speak of. But if you're making him cover down the field, that's somebody who's going to be open all day. And uh, that, that is what happened today to Kenny Galladay. Four catches, 158 yards for a 39.5-yard average and a long of 75 on only five targets. So that's the kind of thing that can't happen <clears throat> and can lose a, team or lose a game for you. So like I said, uh, the Bears offense won today. The Detroit, Lion the Detroit Lions weren't able to overcome that in the end. And the defense did just enough at the end to hold things down. So it was a really complete game. So let's look forward for a second. Let's talk about... Another team that's been embattled all year and seems in a much worse place given that they just lost quite terribly on Thanksgiving, and that is next week's opponent, the uh, the Dallas Cowboys. What are you expecting from that one? What are you looking for in that game? Well, I'm not going to speak to you know the Cowboys crumbling this season. I really haven't watched them too much. I didn't watch them on Thanksgiving, but uh, I do know that from the very beginning of the year when this schedule was announced, we looked at these last four games as being really critical for the Bears and really difficult, right? Uh, home against Dallas, at Green Bay, home against KC, at Minnesota. For the Bears to have any chance to make the playoffs, they got to run the table. Even at that point, they could go 10-6 and six and miss the playoffs, which they've done before. Um, remembering Lovey Smith's last season uh, when they went 10-6 and six and missed the playoffs. So uh, it is nice to at least have them back at, you know, sea level at 500 to give themselves a punching chance to make the playoffs. Beat Dallas at home, right? That's what I want to see. Like, kick their ass. They're playing on Thursday, so uh, both teams get a full week of rest because they both played on Thanksgiving. Uh, Such a weird schedule this year, man. I just want to see him win that game. Like, you know, let's go into Green Bay at Green Bay needing to get a dub uh, in, you know, the last game of the year being at Minnesota. How much fun would that be if that is to determine the second wild card spot? 
so I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but we are at, you know, the <laughs> final, we're at the final stretch. The final quarter of the season, as Lovey used to say back in the day. And the Bears are 6-6. Six and six. Been a disappointing year, but, uh, you know, they, they basically got to run the table here. I want to see them do it. I think so, too. Uh, you know, December football is where it's at. And again, we don't have a whole lot to root for in terms of the playoffs. But, you know, I, look, you're, you're just looking at a team that seems to be finding a little bit of flow these last few weeks. And, you, you know, I think Dallas has a really solid defense. I think they have a lot of talent on both sides of the football. And I think we can finally have a little bit of a litmus test of, you know, what this is. Because the last two weeks, again, the New York Giants and the Detroit yeah. Lions are bad football teams. And that is the context in which we have to absorb Mitch's uh, solid play, the, ru- the run game getting off a little bit, the defense creating a turnover or two. Uh, I really want to see how they play against Dak doing his little pregame dance. I want to see what we can do to stop Ezekiel Elliott. The Bears have given up a lot of yards in the run game recently. You know, is, is Ezekiel Elliott finally going to be able to get off a little bit? And then, yeah, defensively, the Cowboys are a really solid team that didn't necessarily show up against um, – against the Buffalo Bills, who are physical in their own right. But, um, you know, I want to see Mitch be able to stand in the pocket and throw the ball down the field against a very talented defensive squad. So I think this is the one for us, you know, for you and me and for people who are still following this the, the team this season, this is the beginning of a very difficult final stretch the way you said. And so whatever results we get, it's finally going to be couched in, no, these are good teams in the NFL. <clears throat> and I think... You know, whatever whatever results we get is much more what this team is versus, again, what might be a really good stretch and the Bears getting untracked, but might be just them playing terrible football teams. Great point, man. I think you nailed it. Uh, as excited as we've been about this win for the Bears last night, the Lions are now 3-8-1, and one, so that's just not a good football team. Uh, the Giants also not very good. And I know that you wanted to mention Matt Nagy's record against divisional opponents as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's not let's not leave without talking about that because I have been um, getting louder week by week on the fire Nagy uh, bandwagon. In fact, I think there were plays that happened, <clears throat> you know, against uh, the Giants that that still were were fireable offenses. There have been some bad choices that even made in this game, but I will say that one of the hallmarks of you know what? What a successful coach is is how they do in the division. And right now, Matt Nagy is eight and two in the NFC North, uh, a year and three quarters into his tenure. They've got the the two losses are to Green Bay, and that's hurtful. But uh, to have eight other wins, to completely own the Detroit Lions and to own the Minnesota Vikings up to this point, says a lot for his staying power and his ability to find a way you know, uh, in, into the long term in this job. So there's a chance for Nagy to be the solution here in a lost season. You know, like. As the Bears look for their identity, you can see Nagy working on his own week to week on the plays he likes to call, the things he's going to do game in, game out. There's been just like a a culture of trying things out for so long here. And maybe that's just part of what it is to be a a young head coach in the NFL who wasn't totally prepared to take over. You know, it's been a, a, a rush of young head coaches that come from systems that probably had a meal with Sean McVay. And some of those guys are going to be good and some of them aren't, but all of them are learning on the job and making mistakes 
to go forward. And the NFL doesn't really afford you a lot of time to make those mistakes and create that growth. It's a credit to Nagy and a credit to this locker room that they've been able to stay together during what has been one of the most frustrating stretches of football I've experienced as a fan and an observer of the Bears. And to the point that they could come out the other side here and get a couple quality wins and feel a little bit of good feeling in that locker room, that really bodes well going into next week and the rest of this season. So I'm not going to take back what I said, but I will say that uh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with his ability to stay the course, to bounce back, and the hope is that this is one to build on. And again, this isn't just a, a blip of positivity in an otherwise difficult season of football. So that's it for me. Ricky, one thing I want to mention before we go, and it's pretty important to me, I have never laughed as hard as I laughed watching you eviscerate the Chicago Bulls organization from top to bottom, from left to right, uh, on CLTV the other day. So I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about how that felt at the time and the reaction you got after the fact. Yeah, it was pretty funny. It was me and Jarrett Payton, uh, who was the host of that show. I've probably done that show about 10 to 15 times over the last five years. Uh, and I really like Jared Payton. Jared Payton is like the nicest guy in the world. He's also so funny off camera. Uh, he's like everyone's best friend in that newsroom too. Dude, so his laughing he, was killing me. <laughs> he was the perfect hype man for me. And right before we started, he's like, I'm not going to set you up, bro. I'm not going to set you up. We're just going to have a discussion. And then I just went in. I When I was taking the bus up there, I was like, I, I think I'm just going to torch everyone. So I tweeted, I'm like, I'm going to fire. I'm going to say how they should all be fired in unison, Pax and Foreman and Boylan. Uh, and, you know, sometimes when you're in my position, I think that I need to have, like, performative anger a little bit because <laughs> the Bulls have been a massive disappointment. And in my opinion, you know, they still don't get enough criticism in the mainstream media. So I sort of put that on my shoulders and I try to talk like, you know, the real fans who don't have a voice in the media talk. And I'm just like, I'm going to torch these these jerks so that's what i tried to do i think jared payton sold it perfectly and uh it was kind of fun to see people enjoy it yeah man i, I would say i i you know I, i've we've been friends for a long time i've watched your career a bunch that that may be as close to a viral moment as i've ever seen you have my buddy who's a warriors fan told me that he got passed to him through a warriors blog uh your torching of the bulls after after that game so somehow you've made it completely national by on and and perhaps uh, a platform of your career is your ability to completely eviscerate the Garpax era, the Reinsdorfs on down. And like like you said, couldn't agree more. Thank you for carrying the weight of, of all our feeling because I know that team is an incredibly frustrating and I just feel apathetic because the changes at the top are never, ever going to happen. Enjoyed your rant more than I've enjoyed anything you've done in a while and you've done a lot of great stuff. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Cool. Thanks. We'll, uh, we'll have to get you on Cash Considerations, which is my Blue Wire Bulls podcast uh, coming up pretty soon. So we'll get your take on the Bulls. Yeah, yeah. I'll see if I can, like, you know, deal with the flames that you guys throw week to week. All right. We'll do another random Thursday post game for the Bears against the, uh, after the Cowboys game. Hopefully another W and the Bears can continue this momentum. Once again, just want to say thanks for listening. And uh, if you have a moment, go on to wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. Rate and review, subscribe, do all the things that everybody on every podcast asks you to do. Would really appreciate it. Appreciate you listening. Ricky, we'll talk to you next week, man. Appreciate you coming on and uh, go Bears. Go Bears. Thanks, Zach.
If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today.